0: But we got a lot to talk about tonight and I was just talking to Kagan a minute ago. Like I've never like taught through a book of the Bible before, like like hitting all the verses. Like every time I've always taught, it's like, well teach this passage or this passage. So like, you know, I kinda knew what I was teaching then and there, but like when you teach through a book of the Bible, you just kinda take the verses as they come and you just kinda teach whatever the Bible is saying in that particular part. And so tonight we got things to talk about from from Colossians 3. You know, we've been talking the past couple weeks uh, about putting on the new man, about staying focused on the things of God rather than being focused on the things of the world. And that discussion continues tonight as we continue on through chapter 3. So turn with me there if you haven't already, Colossians chapter 3. And so far through this discussion, we've been looking at what It looks like to put on the new man in your personal life, what it looks like to put on the new man in your church life, but tonight we're going to take a look at what that looks like in your family life. And that's a pretty big deal, because if you look at the state of the world today, uh, there's, or yeah, in America or even globally, there's a lot of messed up families, especially since so many families were placed under lockdown last year. Things just got a lot worse. You know, problems that were small at one point get exaggerated when you force families to stay in close proximity with one another. Um, some estimates say that domestic violence was up as much as 80% last summer during that first round of having to stay home. Suicide shot up, substance abuse shot through the roof. And sure, there was many reasons for that. People were worried about getting sick. They lost their jobs. You know, small businesses were forced to close. But the but a good family can kind of cover a multitude of troubles. You know, you might have a rough work life or you might have difficult circumstances. But if you got a good family to come home to, Um, It makes it a whole lot easier to get through some of that stuff. So family is important, practically for reasons like I mentioned. Having a good family makes life, in general, much easier. But er, but family is also important doctrinally, because doctrinally the family, in more ways than one, is going to picture our relationship with the Lord, if we're doing it right. And the passage in Colossians 3 points to two specific family relationships that picture our relationship with Jesus Christ. In, in verses 18 through 21 here. The first is the relationship between a husband and a wife, and the second is the relationship between a parent and a child. So I'll read Colossians 3:18 through 21. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your hu- own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged." So tonight we're going to talk about those two types of relationships, both practically and doctrinally, because both of them are important to understand. Uh, Practically, we want to understand what the Bible says about how our family relationships should operate so that we can have healthy family relationships, so that we can avoid the problems that the world falls into when it has unhealthy relationships. Around here, we believe that the words in the Bible are the words of God, and we hold those words as authoritative in everything that they say. So when the Bible tells us to live a certain way, we know it's not just a helpful suggestion. We know that when the Bible tells us to live a certain way, it's telling us how to live successfully. And if we choose to live differently than how the Bible tells us to, then we're not going to be living successfully. So when God tells wives how to act towards husbands or husbands how to act toward wives, for example, we know that if we want to have a successful marriage or successful relationships, we need to abide by what the Bible says because God is telling us how to have a successful marriage when he tells husbands and wives how to act towards one another. Because if we try to do things our own way, the relationship won't be the way God designed it to be and it won't fulfill the picture he wants it to fulfill. So from a practical standpoint, we're going to talk tonight about how we can have major impacts on the successes or failures of our relationships. And I fully understand who I'm talking to right now. You're the college and career group at this church. So some of you may be married, but many of you are not. Some of you may still be living with your parents, but most of you probably aren't. And most, if not all of you, are not parents yet. Uh, But if you're not married, you know, don't tune this out. Make sure you still pay attention, because chances are good you'll want to be married someday. And I promise you, God's words about marriage relationships aren't going to change between now and then. So what God says about husbands and wives acting, or how they should act towards one another, is going to be exactly the same whenever you go to get married. And even if you're not living with your parents anymore, pay attention to that relationship because chances are good you're going to want to be a parent yourself one day and God won't magically change his mind on how to do that either. Uh, God is very consistent and his word is very consistent and that's why we abide by, by what his word says. So practically this information is beneficial on some level to all of us, but doctrinally we need to understand how important these family relationships are because like I said, those relationships are a picture of our relationship with the God of the universe. And remember the theme of what we've been talking about in Colossians 3. We want to be focused on living for the Lord so that we can represent him to the lost world. And God chooses to use certain relationships in your life as a picture of his relationship with us. So if the relationships in your life are messed up, the lost world is going to see that. And if you're trying to reach them with the gospel, they'll only have messed up pictures of your relationships to know him by. They'll just have the messed up pictures you're giving them. So having good, loving relationships that exist as God designed them to exist can help demonstrate the love of Christ in your life. And we'll see those pictures as we study tonight. But we can't forget to think about how our relationships with our family can help our ministry if they're healthy, or how they can even hinder our ministry if they're unhealthy. So let's dig into that first relationship in the passage. And this passage tackles this subject from both sides, wives in verse 18 and husbands in verse 19. And both are important to understand practically because some of you will be husbands and others of you will be wives and hopefully you know which one of those you would be in that, in that situation. But it's important to understand both sides of the picture that that relationship demonstrates. So let's just take them in order. And in verse 18, we see number one, wives submit. It says, wives, submit yourself, yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And let me go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Yes, the Bible instructs wives to submit to their husbands. And I understand that for many people, that's a little awkward. It's not really a politically correct thing to say nowadays. It's very against modern culture to suggest that. But the Bible doesn't really care about being politically correct, and it doesn't care about what our culture is. The Bible Uh, But let me clarify, the Bible never makes an indication that that women are, are some kind of lower class being. The Bible never even hints that women are any less important to accomplishing God's mission. Never. Not one time. That said, the Bible does indicate that men and women have different roles. Both in how God's mission to reach the world is carried out and also how the family works. And the primary reason that the roles of men and women are different, as we'll see, is because of the picture God wants to portray using those different roles. You might not like that roles of men and women are different. You might disagree, and that's really okay, I promise you. I'm not going to get upset if that bothers you, if it doesn't sit well with you. Because at the end of the day, if you disagree with God's prescribed roles for men and women, you're not disagreeing with me. I don't take that personally, because you're disagreeing with the Bible. And that's, that's all we're doing, is taking what the Bible for what it says. And of course, you're free to disagree with the Bible if you want to. But at this church and in this group, like I said at the beginning, we treat God's word as authoritative on everything it talks about. So when the Bible instructs us about the roles of men and women in a marriage or in the church, we submit to those instructions because we're always seeking to follow the Lord and we can only do that by obeying his words. Does that make sense? All right. So this idea of submission is something that we see throughout Scripture. Like I just mentioned about submitting to God's instructions, when you submit to something, you recognize its authority. That's the simplest de- definition I can come up with, and we'll see that as we check some of these cross-references. First Chronicles 29, verses 23 and 24 says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. So Solomon, the son of David, was the king of Israel at one point in the Old Testament. It was around 1000 BC. And he was probably the best king that Israel ever had. God blessed Israel during Solomon's reign more than at any other time in history. And we get an understanding of submission from this passage, and it's actually pretty simple. Uh, The people of Israel obeyed him. Even the princes, the mighty men, the other sons of David, the people who would have had some level of authority, recognized Solomon's authority but recognize that he sat on the throne of the Lord so the authority that he had he was was given to him by God Romans 13 1 says let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God the powers that be are ordained of God so people have authority in your life the people who do have authority in your life are given their authority by God God doesn't necessarily ordain people to positions of leadership like He did with the kings in the Old Testament, but He ordains the powers that those people will hold. First Peter two thirteen puts it a different way. It says, "Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake." So note that the submission that, that we have that we're all called to isn't just for authority's sake; it's for the Lord's sake, because again, God uses our life to picture truths about Him. And God is the ultimate authority in the universe. We're to be submitted to him in everything. And we're to picture that in our lives by obeying those in authority over us. And this doesn't just apply to government. This applies to every position of authority in life, no matter how small. And the position of authority we're specifically looking at here in Colossians 3.18 is the husband's authority over the wife. And we can see this explained clearly in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5:22 says wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore as the church is subject unto Christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And there you have the picture fully explained. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as a picture of Christ or the church submitting to Christ. And just notice for one quick moment that wives are to submit to their own husbands, not just any husband. So don't walk away from here thinking the Bible saying that women have to submit to men in general because this is a very specific relationship, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And the wife's role in that relationship is to submit to her own husband. So even if the idea of submission doesn't sit well with you, know that you have the choice here. You ladies get to determine or choose who you submit to because you choose your husband, assuming the one you want to choose agrees, by the way. You can't just decide. But if you don't want to submit to a husband at all, well, you genuinely have the option to not get married. There's nothing wrong with that. So if you're a lady in here and you're not married, don't tune out what God's saying because if you can have a biblical understanding of what your role as a wife would be in a marriage— It'll make it that much easier for you to fill that role perfectly if and when you get there. Because biblically speaking, when a lady chooses to join herself to a man in marriage, she chooses the biblical role of submission. And the man is choosing a role as well, and we'll talk about that in a bit. He doesn't get off scot-free. But don't miss the picture here. The church is the bride of Christ and will one day be the wife of Christ. And that's the picture God is painting with a marriage between a husband and a wife. And that's what Paul makes clear at the end of this passage in Ephesians 5. He says in verse 31, "For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church." A marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. It's that simple. And that has some obvious implications for women and for men who enter into marriages if they want their marriage to be a good picture of that relationship. And there's obviously practical implications to that. But perhaps the biggest one is making sure you don't miss out on having the testimony of a good marriage that can picture our submission to Christ. And that's an important thing to communicate to the lost world because James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So that should be the attitude we take towards the Lord, we should always be in submission to him. And that might be difficult for the people of this world to see in your life right away. The people of this world can't just see my relationship with God as they walk past me on the street or see, see me at work or whatever it might be. But they can see my relationship with my wife. They can hear how I describe it. They can, they can see the evidence of that in my life. So in that way, God uses our relationships to communicate the spiritual truths of our lives in a physical way for others to see. So it's important that we make sure that we're running those relationships correctly so that we don't give them a wrong impression about the picture God wants them to have. But an important aspect of submission that needs to be discussed here is p- found in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, It says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is, um, is unprofitable for you. And this is important because we need to understand that when God gives someone authority over another person, whether we're talking about the government, a parent, a husband, an employer, a pastor, whatever it might be, that authority always comes with responsibility. So when we talk about submission, we must keep in mind that the person being submitted to is responsible for the people submitting to them. They watch for your souls in in the case of spiritual leaders, and they must give account. That's big. So in the case of a wife submitting to a husband, both the husband and the wife need to understand that he is ultimately responsible for her. And he's going to have to give an account for how he handled that position of authority one day. And that's a big deal. And that's why the next verse about husbands loving their wives is so important. But for the wife who's submitting to her husband, understand that God will not blame you for problems that occur because of the way your husband leads you. Because husbands are all guys, and some guys are dumb. Some are dumber than others. And even the most godly guys are going to blow it sometimes. But if those problems arrive, whether they're in your marriage or in your finances and raising your kids, whatever they might be, if those problems arrive, your husband is the one who's responsible for that so long as you're remaining submissive in your relationship with him. So dudes, especially married dudes, keep that in mind. There's an old saying, it was in some movie, it's like, with great wife comes great responsibility. Is that, something like that. (laughs) So don't take that responsibility lightly. And if you're married, don't forget that responsibility because you're gonna wanna make sure you're man enough, or if you're not married yet, don't forget this because you're gonna wanna make sure you're man enough to handle that before you get married. And ladies, it's good for you to remember this as well because if you remember the level of responsibility that God gives to your husband over your family and your relationship and even over you, then it, it'll be a little bit easier for you to have some compassion for him when he blows it and, and problems show up because it's a big deal. God is putting this, in, this responsibility onto your husband. And so have a little compassion sometimes because we all suck in our own ways and it's, we're all gonna blow it at some point. Now, if those problems in your marriage arrive as, as a result of you not submitting to your husband, well, then that's on you because you're not doing what God's asked you to do. Just like they're his fault when he's not doing what God asked him to do. And I know this question tends to come up. Well, what if a saved lady is married to an unsaved man, or does she still have to submit to him? Or what if what if my husband's saved, but he's he really isn't trying to follow the Lord? Maybe he's living in sin and has no interest in his growth or his wife's growth. Well. What happens then? Well, luckily, God's word answers that for us. First Peter three one and two says, "Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear." So there you go. Even if your husband sucks, God wants you to submit to him anyways. Again, because your submission to him will picture for him what his submission to the Lord should look like. And by submitting to him even when he doesn't deserve it, you're in a better position than anyone else to help him get on the right track with the Lord. Because the wife's submission to her husband is a picture of the church's submission to Christ. Now there are limits to to this. Ladies, you never have to submit to physical abuse. That should go without saying, but I'm saying it anyways. So if you're in a situation with your husband where you genuinely feel threatened, you're not biblically bound to allow yourself to be in danger. And it's a consistent biblical principle that no one has to submit to an authority that's directly commanding them to commit sin or disobey God's word. So if you're in a situation where your husband's trying to force you to sin, get some help. Talk to somebody else about that. Get out of that situation. Because everyone in life has different levels of authority there to submit to. Husbands, wives, everyone. And the Bible, as the words of God, is the supreme authority for everyone. And until you're an an adult living on your own, your parents are just one step below God's authority. And if you're a wife, your husband is your authority, just one step below the word of God. And it's your role in a marriage to submit to that. But husbands also have a role in marriage. Buckle up, guys. This role provides just as much of a picture as the wife's role does. And that's number two, husbands love. And that's in verse 19 of Colossians 3. It says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So, on the same level as wives being told to submit to their husbands, husbands are told to love their wives. And I know what some of you might be thinking wait, wives have to submit to their husbands. That's a hard thing to do. And all husbands have to do in return is love their wives. As long as he says, I love you once in a while, then he's okay to boss me around all he wants. Well, no, that's not true. And we've already mentioned the responsibility that husbands have toward their wives because God is giving them authority. They become responsible for their wives, so they must give an account. And we'll see as we dig in here that loving your wife is not just saying, hey, honey, I love you. Now take out the trash. No, That's not... That's not love. Love in the Bible is not just a feeling you have like you're in some Hallmark movie or something like that. Biblical love that a husband has for his wi- is, is to have for his wife is defined for us in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 29 says, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, even as the Lord the church so there's a lot going on in that passage, and we're going to break it down. But, but look at verse 25, because that defines for us what it really means for a husband to love his wife. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the example of love we're given to work from is the example of Jesus Christ loving the church. And the example of how Jesus loved the church is when he gave himself for it. And we're keenly aware of how Jesus gave himself for the church. Uh, look at First Corinthians six twenty. It says, "For ye are bought with a price." And remember the discussion on personal pronouns we had last week. Ye is plural. Paul wrote the book of First Corinthians as a, as a letter to the church at Corinth. He's writing to a group of believers who have chosen to follow Christ. So if you've given your life to Christ, then you're part of Christ's church, and ch- Christ has bought His church with a price. And we know that the price was the was the blood that He shed on the cross. Because when Christ died on the cross, he sacrificed himself to pay for our sins. He gave himself for us. He made a way for you and I to have a relationship with God by accepting that gift for ourselves. And everyone who accepts that gift becomes a part of the church of God. So the only reason we can exist as the church of God is because Jesus paid the ultimate price to save us. So Jesus literally purchased the church when he offered payment for our sins. That's the price he paid for the church. He died an awful, painful death on the cross, and that's the example that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 to highlight Christ's love for the church. And husbands are commanded to love their wives the same way. How's that authority feeling now, fellas? Jesus earned our submission by giving himself for the church. So husbands, you ought to earn your wife's submission by giving yourself for her. Now ladies, I'm not saying you shouldn't submit to your husband when you don't feel like he's earned it. We already talked about what, what to do when your husband stinks. But husbands, I'm also not saying you shouldn't love your wife when she fails to submit to you either because Jesus doesn't ever stop loving us even when we're stubborn, stubborn and bullheaded towards him. In fact, Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So husbands, regardless of how your wife is acting towards you, it's your responsibility to uphold God's picture of love for the church by loving your wife as well. So what does that look like? What does it look like to love your wife the way Jesus loved the church when he gave himself for it? Well, let's go back to Ephesians 5 because it highlights several ways of of how that plays out. And the first one is obvious. Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. So are you ready to give your life for your wife? And I'm not just talking about giving up your physical life to save hers if you're ever in a situation that calls for it. That's definitely one application of this. But what about your day-to-day life? What's your number one priority in life? What's your number one goal that you're working towards in life? Because your wife should be. God commands it. Among uh, all your other jobs, roles, and ministry opportunities, do you recognize that your main ministry is to your wife? And and you're to love her and care for her uh, above everything else aside from your own relationship with the Lord? Are you willing to give up your hobbies and give up your time to make sure her needs are being met and that she's feeling loved and cared for? Because that's what re- what is required of you if you're to fulfill your biblical role as a husband. You're to give yourself for her. But keep reading through that passage in Ephesians 5. Jesus Christ sanctifies and cleanses the church with his word. So husbands, it's your job to sanctify and cleanse your wife with, the, with God's word. And yes, we're all responsible for our own spiritual growth. I don't care if you're a husband or a wife. We all need our own personal time with God, and we all need our own personal growth. But a husband has a very real responsibility to see that his wife is growing in her relationship with the Lord. So, when's the last, married guys, when's the last time you had a discussion with your wife about something the two of you learned on a Sunday morning or in your own personal time with God? When's the last time you prayed for? Because you're responsible for her walk with God. So, what are you going to do to help her with that? Are you even helping? Or are you hindering? Have you even stopped to think about how what you're doing affects her personal walk with God? You should, because I firmly believe that one day you'll have to give an account for that. So I recommend you start thinking about it if you haven't already. Because God calls husbands to love their wives as their own bodies. And the implications to this is obvious. When you're hungry, what do you do? You go get food. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You go get something to drink. When you're tired, what do you do? You go to bed. When you're feeling stressed, what do you do? You sit down on the couch, crack open a bag of potato chips and watch TV. You, you chill out. We're so in tune with what our own body's needs are. We're so quick to satisfy those needs when they arrive. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it. Husbands, your wife's needs should be met by you the same way. You should be so in tune with who she is and what she's going through that you should know what she needs sometimes before even she knows what she needs because that's how the Lord treats his church. That's how he treats you and me and our relationships with our wives ought to demonstrate that both to our wives and to the rest of the world and if that's not convicting for you, know that it's convicting for me because that's a high bar that Christ set for loving our wives. And one specific way husbands are told to love their wives in Colossians is 3.19 to, is to not be bitter against them. And if you track bitterness through scripture, you'll find that it's often connected to what you say. For example, Romans 3.14 says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So your mouth can be full of bitterness. So the recommendation here is just watch what you say. Watch how you say it. Because bitterness is not going to help you sanctify and cleanse your wife. On the other hand, forgiveness will. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus Christ's forgiveness of us is connected to us being cleansed from unrighteousness. And this goes for both husbands and wives, and pretty much everyone else in general. When you when you're wronged in a relationship, any relationship, is your first reaction forgiveness? Or is it bitterness? Because even if you hide it, bitterness will pop up eventually. This is why people in marriages have tiny problems and they never deal with them and they just allow them to build up and they, they eventually explode. And marriages end quicker than, than, than anyone could imagine because they never saw everything building under the surface. Hebrews 12:15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness can take root in your life and in your relationship and it can grow and it springs up and you never expect it to spring up but it, but it does every time. So husbands, don't be bitter towards your wife. Love her. Because here's the deal, when a husband and wife are both fulfilling their biblical roles in marriage, they're creating the perfect picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. That's a great thing and it can do wonders for their ministry and for their ability to reach the lost world with the gospel. But, when they're f- when they're both fulfilling their biblical roles in marriage they're also creating an environment where both of them are having their needs met because god created women to need love and god created men to need respect and if the husband is loving his wife and the wife is submitting to her husband both of them will feel fulfilled in their relationship with one another which only helps them grow closer together as they each grow closer to god ephesians 5:33 wraps it up so eloquently it says nevertheless let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband because the husband and wife have roles in a marriage and God designed marriage to picture the biblical truth of Jesus Christ and the church and when your marriage is following God's biblically prescribed roles your marriage will glorify God as others look at it and see the love of Christ and the submission of the church perfectly on display and you'll feel like you have the perfect marriage if you need a practical reason to do it. And I get it. Many of you aren't married, but this is what a biblical marriage looks like. And it's good for you to keep in mind what the goals of a marriage should be, especially those of you who are planning on getting married soon. So when you're looking for the person that you want to hook yourself to, you have some ideas of what to look for. And more importantly, you have some ideas of the kind of person you need to be if you want to do your part towards realizing a healthy, successful, and God-glorifying marriage. But we're running out of time, and I'm halfway done. So I I promise these next two points are are quicker. Um, But point number three is children obey. And this one's easy. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. This is straightforward it's a universal thing throughout scripture it actually comes up a lot if you track uh, children and parents like if you do a bible search on verses with both of those words this comes up a lot Um, it actually comes from the 10 commandments exodus 20 verse 12 says honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the lord thy god giveth thee so there are very some real there are some very real benefits to a child learning to obey their parents like it says in Exodus 20, that thy days may be long upon the land. And that's repeated for us in Ephesians 6. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. So the role of a child obeying their parents is important because it pictures our role in obeying the Lord. 1 uh, John 3, 1 through 2 tells us that we are sons of God. 2 Corinthians six eighteen says, and, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God uses that as a picture. So when a child learns to obey their father and mother, not only do they have the benefit of living longer, uh, how long would a child live if they don't obey their parents about whether or not to run into traffic? Um, not too long. So, Obeying your parents can make you live long enough to be an adult to make your own decision. Um, but they also bring glory to God by picturing our obedience to the Lord. So if you're saved, you're a child of God. That's what we saw in 2 Corinthians 6. And if you want your life to line up with that, you have to obey your Father in heaven. You have to allow him to lead you. Romans eight fourteen says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So if you want to demonstrate your relationship with God to the world, you have to obey him. You have to let his spirit lead you like a child obeys their parents and lets their parents lead them. And I get it, a practical application is hard here with this audience. Uh, Most, if not all of you guys, are adults. Some of you may still live with your parents. Uh, Hopefully, if you do, the nature of your relationship with your parents has changed since you were a child. Uh, But as long as you're living under their roof, you should be obedient to them. You can always leave if you don't like that. You're an adult. That's the difference between a child and an adult. A child doesn't have a choice to leave. You do. You can go get a job and get an apartment whenever you want. Uh, But know that if you're a child of God who's submitted and obedient to the Lord, you should be able to submit and be obedient to the parents living in your house. Unless, of course, you think the level of obedience they're expecting is unhealthy, in which case, like I said, you can always leave assuming you're an adult. And finally, let's look at the flip side of that relationship Number four, parents provoke not. I told you these ones were going to be faster. And that's in verse 21. It says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And again, this one's pretty straightforward. And I know most of the people in this room are not parents, but many of you will be someday. And when you are, don't intentionally make your kids angry for no reason, because your job as a parent is found in Ephesians 6 4 says and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the lord and provoking them to anger is going to discourage that now they'll probably get angry with you a lot about the things you do or don't do as a parent that's part of being a parent is having somebody this tall who's mad at you all the time <laughs> but that's fine but you shouldn't provoke them to anger when you intentionally make them angry or intentionally try to push them over the edge uh that's that's when there's problems because God doesn't provoke you to anger. He doesn't provoke you to sin. He doesn't tempt you with evil. James 1:13 says, "Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man." So God doesn't tempt us with evil. He doesn't provoke us to wrong decisions. We have enough enemies to do that with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But God deals with us as with sons, like we've already talked about. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So there's your picture. God loves us like a father is supposed to love his children. So when we're in the wrong, he'll chasten us. He'll correct us and punish us uh, to get our attention and get us back on the right path. And we might not always like that, but God does it out of love. He never provokes us. In fact, even when we face temptation, He's always there to help us out of it. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God's got your back, and a parent should have their kids back too. So you as a parent ought to take the same approach as God does with us. So as we wrap up this discussion on relationships tonight, don't forget the context that we're talking about all of this under. Putting on the new man, allowing God to live through us will change nearly every aspect of our lives if we allow it to. And tonight we just saw some examples of how that will affect your relationships with your immediate family members. But regardless of whether or not you're married, regardless of whether or not you're still living with your parents, and regardless of whether or not you're a parent yourself, each of us have roles in our lives that if lived out biblically will properly put on display pictures that demonstrate the truth of God and the relationship that he wants to have with each of us. So man, let's be diligent to examine ourselves. If there's anything in our life, anything in our relationships that need to change so we can become a more accurate representative of Jesus Christ, if we can do something to give the world a better idea of who Jesus is, man, let's do that. Let's change that. Let's, let's figure out what we need to change in order to to be that representative, to be that ambassador. Because the goal is to shine the light of Christ to this dark world we live in. And while they're all struggling to figure out human relationships, we can demonstrate the glory of God by living those relationships out the way that the God of the universe designed them to be. And at the same time, we can enjoy having good, fulfilling relationships in our personal lives. Uh, It it really is a win all around. We have good relationships. God gets glory uh, from us demonstrating his pictures and the lost world gets to know us a little bit or gets to know God a little bit better from the pictures that God is using in our lives to to show his light to them. Sound good? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just the clarity of your word and um man, the answers for for every question in life exists in, in your Bible, God. I firmly believe that and I thank you when we when we stumble onto them and maybe we weren't expecting to talk about them, but God, I just pray that we take seriously uh your commands of, of how we live our lives and how we live our relationships so that we can glorify you and we can represent you to the lost world. And I just pray that the lost world would see us and see our relationships and know uh, just a little bit more about you and that it wouldn't surprise them that that we're submitted to you because of the way we submit to one another. And God, I just pray that you would be glorified in everything we do and we'd have opportunities to share you with the people around us. In your name we pray, amen.